Welcome to Conversations with Buddy. First of all, I am very grateful to all of our guests who come onto the podcast and share their life story with you, the listener. I'm also grateful to all who show up each week to listen to the stories of our incredible guests. In 2023, we had a lot of meaningful conversations with fantastic people, and today we're going to share some impactful parts of those conversations that we had this past year. Thanks again for listening. And now for our first clip, episode 49, Aaron Parsons talks about what it means to be a father and a husband and how God calls us to push the rock. What does it mean to be a husband and what does it mean to be a father to you? Hmm, That's a great question. It's probably the hardest thing I have to do in my life too. Like I feel like I can do work so easy and so fulfilling, but like to be a father and a husband, Mm. it's probably the hardest work, but the most meaningful and rewarding if you I guess if you can do it right or continue to push push the rock, keep going. Yeah, push the rock yeah. uphill. Yeah, because this yeah. I, I just heard this thing the other day and it's, it's stuck right to my soul. It's like uh the Lord asked asked me to keep pushing. Like I come I have this I have this mission for you, I have this rock and I need you to keep pushing it. Keep pushing the rock, keep pushing the rock. And for years and years and years I'm pushing the rock and the rock's not moving. And God said, I don't I don't want you to move the rock. I will move the rock. Mm. I just need you to show up. I just need you to keep pushing that rock. I'm like, okay, God, that I'm going to keep pushing. That's <laughs> interesting. Mm. It's a great analogy because yeah. that's that's marriage. Marriage has a way of keeping us humble. Being mm-hmm. a parent has a way of keeping us humble. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Bible verse that reminds you how to be a good husband? I mean. Ah, I don't know. There's so many good ones. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, my My mission stuff right now is Ephesians 2.10, which is. Uh, how God created us and designed us to do great things is my interpretation of it. Yeah. Um, but he created us to do good works in advance. And uh, that's kind of what I live by the last yeah. few years is it's just God created me to design and designed me to do great things. One of those things is to raise my family uh, before all things. We, My wife and I have a order of our family is God first, our marriage second, and then our kids come third. Yeah. And if we keep that order and keep those in line, and when careers are fourth, uh, then all, all things seem to work out yeah. if we just stick with that order. It's a great priority. And it's interesting how work can sneak up and become first. It does often. It's like, whoa, come back here. Yep. So it's mm. interesting. My wife and I have the same order. Okay. God, marriage, kids. So even when my kids are little, Okay, mommy gets the first hug when I come home from work. Mm-hmm. All right, daddy, you know. Yeah. And and, uh, and I don't think a lot of parents do that. I think they put their actually their kids first. Yeah. And I get that, but kids eventually leave home, mm-hmm. and then unfortunately, you know, divorce does happen. And if we're not careful with that, that's what happens. So, yeah. So how do you date your wife? What do you? How do you find time to? In, in this in busy season world? of life, <laughs> it is difficult. And with our anniversary coming up. Uh, we, we often say, it's like, we'll just go hang out on the boat, make something and just, just the two of us and watch the sunset and things like that. We've kind of recently got into overland camping and, uh, that's a whole nother story is like, but we just sold all of our, 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 we had an RV and we sold it and we bought this rooftop tent. We mounted our truck and we just go out in the wilderness and just kind of read books and hang hammocks and she's a photographer. We take pictures and you guys are both creative. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. Uh, does she work too, or does she work? She with does you, or photography, do- and uh, right now she's dabbling in woodworking. 
which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, and building custom signs for our customers and stuff like that, like 3D wow. signs and lighted signs and things. But uh, does she have like her own website, her own business, or does she just kind of? Uh, it's it's integrated through our our company with through Parsons your company. Signs, okay, got yeah. it. Got it. Mm-hmm. That's really neat. I got to dig in deeper on that. Yeah. I'm not a creative dude. I can appreciate creativity, <laughs> so I really appreciate what you do. Dude, I don't have any, I have zero creativity. It's nothing. nothing. It's weird. Hmm. And uh, yeah, it's kind of funny, but <laughs> I've got maybe a couple strengths, but that is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. But, well, that's this is cool. I love to hear the story about, you know, the challenges of marriage. Marriage wasn't supposed to be easy. It's pushing that rock. Mm-hmm. Your analogy was spot on because- I can remember one time with my wife, you know, guys love respect. Oh, yep. I demand respect, right? Yeah. And one time I can remember, and I've, I've shared this before, so this won't be the first time people are hearing this, but it's funny to hear. I was telling my wife, I was demanding respect. I need respect. And she goes, well, she reminded me of scripture. She goes, the scriptures say, husbands love your wives. Yep. Women respect your husbands in that order. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that hurt. Because I was demanding something, but I wasn't giving her what she needed. And I realized I'm pretty selfish. And so it's hard. That's why it's humbling to to be married and serve your spouse because we want to be served and we want to be respected. But go love somebody. You know, guys, we need to be loved, but that's not our highest calling. Typically, it's usually that respect. Yeah, So absolutely. How, how do you deal with that? And, um, you know, just in that situation, what's that look like for you? Do you ever struggle with that? Uh, yeah, I have. And we ended up leading, I think it was last year, a marriage conference at our church, the two of us, that God put on our heart, my wife especially. And I said, hey, wherever you, if you feel this, I, I got your back. What do you need me to do? And so we read a couple uh, marriage uh, books that we wanted to kind of build the content around. And we did this conference uh, mm. at our church and a lot of people showed up, which was like, oh, this is great. So a lot of people need some marriage advice. And it, I think we learned so much from it. And and that's exactly it. It's like, you know, like husbands love your wives, like Christ loved the church yeah. and sacrifice for them. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people get that wrong. It's like, oh, you're to respect me and serve me. And no, we're, we're to constantly serve them and serve each other and love each other in that way. And yeah, but when you throw kids in there, it, yeah, you end up serving them all the time and you're exhausted by the end of the day. It's like, oh, I love my kids, but oh, I'm burnt. You know, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, so yeah. trying to find those times to spend on your relationship and yeah. uh, continue to keep that order yeah. uh, and realize that like your your kids are watching you. And if you love each other and embarrass them with lots of kisses and love and affection towards each other, that they're going to see that and yeah. they're going to see what a Christ-like uh, marriage yeah. is, is all about. Now from episode 52, Matthew Melskow talks about the difficulty of wrestling and the lessons he learned along the way. Wrestling sucks. Uh, <laughs> I heard that. I've heard that before. Uh, uh, wrestling is not fun, uh, but there is an there, there's a passion. As a wrestling for, coach, by the way, I just want to clarify. Oh yeah, oh yeah. To to, to all the kids out yeah, there yeah. that I try and recruit and yeah, say yeah. wrestling's the greatest thing ever. No. <laughs> 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 that that may or may. I mean, it's the greatest thing ever, but it's not what you think when you think greatest thing ever. It's it is a brutal sport, but that's why it's the greatest sport in the world hmm. because in that brutality, in that and how difficult it is, there's no greater success 
at the end of the day than getting your hand raised. Mm. And it's because of the work that you put in in the practice room, the the amount of mental strength you have just to make weight, just to 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 be at home when nobody else is watching and there's a bag of chips on the counter and you have a choice right there. Uh, am I going to, am I going to eat it? And I think that that translates to life so much. Mm. Um, I've, I've had a lot of success in my short life. I've also had a lot of failures, but the successes that are the sweetest to me come with the most amount of work. Um, so when I was when I was just starting my job at Pratham, uh, I spent four years as an intern, and I still remember uh, getting called into my boss's office um, and him telling me that they had a full time job for me waiting. And I walked out of that office and I went and jumped my pickup and headed my first field, and I don't think I quit smiling all day long. I I had I had my my eyes were watering up. And it wasn't because I mean I mean I've I've been given quite a few job offers before and you know none of them meant as much as that one did because of the amount of work that went into it mm. before four years of interning four years of getting the credit jobs that nobody else wanted four, four years of college four years of college just of slaving away to get this to 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 achieve this goal mm. and I think that that's what wrestling teaches so much is. All of the work you put in for the six is what makes the success so special. Um, it, the 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 hours and hours and hours you spend in the practice room, just getting mauled, getting beat up on, mm. getting because there, there's always somebody better than you in the practice room, whether or not it's one of your one of your peers or if if you're the you're the best kid in the room, we'll grab a coach and stick him on you for two and a half hours and. And they're just getting beat up all week long and then finding that success when you go out there and you get your hand raised is, mm. is, is second to none because of the work you put in. And so I'd say wrestling has a, has a, holds a very, very special place in my heart um, <laughs> because of that. Now from episode 64, Jennifer Jacobs was on the brink of dying and in one of her darkest moments, she asked herself a question that changed the trajectory of her life. Yeah, tell, I tell right, us that story. right before I ended up in the hospital, I was I was um, well, I'd been in and out actually of the hospital. You kind of run make the rounds right when you're when you're when you're not thriving anymore and your body's starting to shut down. Yeah. There's no way you can't end up in the hospital with stuff, and so. What I was told was, you're not eating, you're not thriving in this world anymore, so it's feeding tube and then it's death. And I wasn't about to go down that that rabbit hole of feeding tubes and death because I was so young and I had these two kids that were 14 and 8 at the time. And yet, I was on the brink of death and I knew it because... You can fight and push and fight and push, but at some point you're going to find yourself on the bathroom floor with your lungs rattling and your heart beating through your whole – I mean, you mm -hmm. can't hear anything other than your heartbeat. And I was trying to stack myself up on these floor mats in the bathroom right in between where the tub and, you know, the wall is. And I was trying to figure out, okay, my kids are going to come home. And it was evident to me I absolutely was not going to make it. I mean, it – they told me this was probably going to happen. They had told me to get my affairs in order. I was 
stubborn and wasn't wasn't taking it that seriously mm-hmm. until that moment where I realized, okay, this is actually happening. And right and mm-hmm. I knew that my kids were going to come home and they were going to find me dead on the floor. And I was trying to figure out what was the right way to lay there so that it didn't look like I was struggling when I died. Like I just drifted off on the floor. Mm-hmm. And in and I was at the time you go through a lot when that yeah. when that's happening you're in a different headspace right and yeah. i was i was on the floor kind of propped into the crack between the wall and the or the tub mitt and i um was just randomly staring up at this cactus that i had sitting on the side of my bathtub and i asked a question that i had never asked before and the question in my mind was is there a version of me that is not sick because I was born this way. I don't know what well is. I just have never experienced well. I just experience, you know, whistle while you work, grind your way through it and smile and you don't share that kind of stuff, right? And so I asked the question, is there a version of me that isn't sick? And it was such a profound moment of awareness for me. It was like my world opened up and I went from perceiving life through my own lens Mm. to a different perception of seeing me laying on the floor and preparing to meet God. Literally, I was, I was having all those conversations and asking all those really tough questions. Was I enough? Did I do enough? Was Mm. I a good enough mom? Was I, you know, what could I have done differently? And in that moment, when, when everything just kind of opens up, it was just a resounding, yes, there is a version of you that isn't sick. And it was like I had just this block of internal knowing that dropped into my body and said, you can set this down anytime and choose to be well. You can. Wow. And that, you know, I think that's a big thing with momentum is I had this momentum of being sick and, yes, hiding it from the general population because who wants to be around a sick person? And I didn't want my kids to feel like their mom was always sick. So I was just always really up. And I, it was easier to slide into that mindset than Mm -hmm. to focus on sick because when you focus on sick, you get sicker. It's just how it is. But I That's an interesting concept right there. You get more of what you focus on. You really do. And so when you focus into your illness, you get more of the illness, right? But in that moment, moment, I had this knowing that I could set that momentum down and I could choose to step into wellness. And I just had no idea how to do it, but it sent me to Life Source and five or six different books. And I read those books in record time in about Mm. 24 hours and read all about some ways that could maybe help my belly wake up and found a book. It was a bone broth book. I wish the name was coming to me right away. Um, And and so I got on some organic bone broth and within two weeks, something woke up. I, I I would take a tablespoon of bone broth and a tablespoon of cream of rice cereal. And that is how I got myself back. And it was once a day. It was all I could process was mm. just a tablespoon of each once a day. And then two or three days later, a couple tablespoons. And I just started working my way towards living again. It yeah. was it was a profound um, and really glorious. Uh, I learned more about myself in those moments, I think, than I've ever learned. Because you truly can set momentum down in one direction and you can pick up a new momentum. But it's a it, you have to mentally you have to make that decision. And instead of focusing into what was wrong, I was focusing, I changed my focus into what would a healthy person 
do, feel? How would they behave? How would they think? And that immediate knowing in my brain was, I can figure this out and I'm going to be just fine. And yeah, I might not feel great today, but tomorrow mm. could be better. And just because I don't feel great today doesn't mean I got to think about it. And so, wow, yeah. The, the power of a question, you know, how is there any part of me that is well? That's just a question. It and is. then you, it, it helped you transition your focus from a negative to a, well, there's hope. Well, there's a positive. Yes. And I believe, I've always believed that from that moment, the belief system found its way into my soul that new questions bring new energy. Now from episode 54, Gabriel Shields talks about the difficulties of life, the value of biblical counseling, and how God has continued to restore his marriage. And the crazy thing was, this is what got really confusing as a Christian man, was I'm crying out to God, God, don't let me be like this. I'm never going to bed going, man, I can't wait to treat my wife like crap tomorrow. That's going to be exciting. I'm crying out to him every night, like, don't let me do this again. And I'm like a shampoo commercial, rinse and repeat, buddy. I wake up the next day and I'm just the same mean cuss that I'm always to her. And I'm going- But in, in, all, in all fairness, you had no model. You yeah. grew up in abuse. That's normal. Yeah. I mean, truer. Yeah. I didn't have a model. I didn't have anything. Yeah. And I think that's where I, the talking about mentorship and men entering my life. So I drive this, this route all the time. And there's a sign out at Calvary Chapel, Albany. It says free family counseling. And I thought, I got nothing to lose but my marriage. I call up Pastor Dan, who's my now pastor. I said, you know, I, I got to get counseling. And he says, you know, I never met this guy before in my life. He says, just so you know, it's biblical counseling. I'm thinking, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I go in and I'm thinking, what can, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I really don't believe anything's going to work, to be honest, but I'm desperate. And especially since like, I'm already. It's a great place to be, by the way, just. Desperate? Desperate. Yeah. Like, you know what? It's beyond me. Yeah. I can no longer do it. Your hands are open. Yeah. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Desperate is the best place to be. I mean, you look at the woman with the bleeding condition or the the kid with the the man with the kid who's dying or like all these or the centurion. You know, yeah. you have to think they've got to have gotten to a desperate place of faith or, or, or Peter after he denies Christ three times. Yeah. He goes to him desperate and then he's ready. And I think that's where I was it takes at. It Peter a while to figure this out. Yeah. He, then he's ready. He's like, okay, now you're ready because you're. You know it's not you. Your hands are open. Yeah. Um, I think that's where I was at. So I go, and I don't really believe any of this is going to work. But then Pastor Dan said something to me that I tell guys all the time, and I'm surprised I had never heard it before. You know, Christian at this point. And just real quick, I'm going to pause you. Yeah. I think you're about ready to tell this little piece of story. And yeah. Since a week ago, I've told that story probably a dozen times. Yeah. So anyway, I, I can't wait for you to it's share this one piece. game changing. I'm glad that it's getting shared. Yeah. Because it's, it's you know, I've, I never heard it before. How many good people are in heaven? It was a simple question he asked me. And, you know, I consider myself a pretty smart guy, which is funny because, you know, the, the Bible says, you know, uh, uh, knowledge edif or excuse me, uh, love edifies, but knowledge puffs up and, you know, it'll make the wise things of the world foolish and the foolish things of the world wise. Well, let me tell you, um, I was very foolish when I answered. I said, you know, I imagine quite a few. And he said, zero, only forgiven people. He said, why are you following the gospel of good enough? your whole life, you've been trying to be validated by your father. You've been trying to be seen. You've been trying to be, uh, you know, you want people to, to see you and hear you and justify you and validate you. And he said, you don't need to do that anymore. You've forgiven your mother, but have you ever accepted that you were forgiven? You know, talk about like, that was like, you know, 
the Charlie moment and that moment are kind of punctuate, punctuated in my life. Mm. And that was the moment I was like, whoa. Suddenly I go home and my marriage is like if somebody flipped a switch. I go to bed, cry out to God the next day, no rinse and repeat. Hmm. It's just, and now I'm not saying that we were perfect. You know, we still had our moments, but if suddenly like squabbles and diff and, and disagreements were being talked about, were being, were discussing, were, were just different now. Yeah. And this event where you call Pastor Dan. Yeah. When did that happen? Like a year ago, two years ago? That was in 2019. Okay. So roughly four years ago. Yeah. And that's why I say my growth epiphany, since Epiphany, little. Oh. I call that a come to Jesus moment. Yeah, come. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, I think for them, first time in my life, I was like, oh, I don't have to look through the people anymore. Jesus wants to come in and clean the house. Like he's, he's coming here to have dinner, but he's also coming here to clean the house. Now from episode 55, David Giglio talks about the opportunity God gave him this past year and with much prayer that led to a 40-hour trip across the country in the winter to the Asbury Revival in Kentucky. I told the very beginning of the story a while ago, which is just, I was going through this time of like hardship in the business, starting to be at joy, at peace with what he, like he feeling that he had something more for me. And then it was Super Bowl Sunday when I heard of this thing called the Asbury Revival. And I don't go to like a Pentecostal church or anything like that. It was just something that uh, one of our elders a text and was like, hey, have you seen what's going on in Asbury? And what happened at Asbury to College in Kentucky was that these students have started just breaking out into worship and prayer and confession, and it had just gone nonstop for days on end. And it, it basically was, I think it was in the two-week mark when I when I found out, or the first week mark, and it was just keep going. It was 24 hours and uh, a day. And it was like, hey, this looks like revival. This was very well could be revival. And, you know, and I was like, I threw out in like a text thread, hey, jokingly, like, Maybe we should go, um, but I wasn't serious. And then one of my youth uh, called uh, the next day and uh, no, sorry, later that night. And he was like, hey, I really feel like we should go. We should drive. And me and Seven, who's another kid in our youth, sorry, they're like in college now, but yeah. um, uh, the uh, they're both going to go, but they need like someone to go with them. They need like an adult to go with them or whatever because their parents were concerned about their car breaking down. And then um, so I started praying. I was like, I'll pray about it. You know, and then that night, man, really felt confirmed, like I should go. And and then that morning, another elder was like he was going to go and he'd raised all the money overnight on Facebook to go take this. And so we drove across the country to Asbury. We drove. Yeah, it was like 40 hours. That's a long drive. And we stopped once for for a night. Like we went through the night. And this is winter, right? We're like through the night on like Utah. Like it's just there's there's like semis on their on their heads as you're driving. And you're like, all right, I'm driving on ice. and I'm like, yeah. I don't even know. And uh, and we may have forgotten the chains, uh, but it's okay. Uh, and so we, uh, yeah, we made it We made it there. And man, I remember that first night just going down to the altar, not even wanting to go because I was like, you know, like feeling a little bit like, but then being pulled and man, God just meeting me in his presence and just starting to rip open and and do, I, I heard it described that the glory of God, when, when God manifests his presence in his people, there's this opportunity for like this, him to just like break you open to start to do operation on you, like to do surgery on your soul. And that's what it felt like. And just that, that time there, man, just, man, there were just times where, man, there, for, and it was just the whole time. Like, yeah, that for me, he did particular work that first night yeah. on the altar, but also just the whole week. It wasn't like it diminished. It was just more and more he was doing in, in his glory. And 
the spirit of God just filled that place yeah. and people were, were broken and, and he was changing lives and working. And, um, and man, like, and I mean, there was one time where we broke out singing, uh, the Agnes day, which is just, you know, and I, I can't remember, for, which is just, uh, it's the old Michael W. Smith song. I can't, it's not coming to you, but man, it just wouldn't end. It just like, it was like an hour of just people just singing and the worship team is just bowing. It's, it's, incre- it's just incredible. And there were, the, and in that moment, it was like, in particular, it was like, man, it was like, there were moments like that where like the heaven felt, heavens felt so close. Like it was like, we were surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses doing this together, praising God together, which is what we are doing. Um, and, and so from that, uh, I was on my way trip back and I was in the car praying and I felt like, Hey, David, it might be time to leave Skyline. And I, and I've, I felt this for a while. Like I'd been kind of, I've been balancing both being youth pastor, worship pastor and, and leading Skyline for a while. And I felt this in the car, like, Hey, I think you might need to prepare for revival almost is kind of the thought. Um, and so after that, I wrestled with it, prayed about it for a couple of weeks after that. And then eventually talked with the other owner, the majority owner in the company. And he was also like very on board with me doing it. And so started to step away so that I could pursue just full time, um, youth working with youth yeah. in, in schools and, um, just doing whatever, get God to kind of open the door. Um, and so that's what I'm pursuing that full time. And, um, and so I've raised support, been raising support over the last, um, six months and uh, just starting that journey and uh, to supplement what I'm being paid from the church. And um, man, it's been incredible how it talking of a hard time. It's like, there's been moments where like, it's like, God just wants like, I'll be in these times with God. It's like, he just wants more. He's like, okay, you need to take a bigger risk. You need to just like, stop, stop playing. Like you really have to trust me. Like stop kind of trusting me, really trust me with your finances, with your money, like with it's all hard. of those things. Yeah. And and I feel like yesterday, man, like I've been, I've been in a long, and he's provided over half of what I need to, or, or about half of what I needed to raise, which has been amazing. It's just seeing the generosity of people. And then last yesterday, he provided this amazing opportunity in a Christian school to be able to, to be a sub there, but also lead their like youth club that they have kind of like a little youth group and wow. chapel and, and just, and the camp they do. And, and so just, and in state, like in the state and area, so with the students that I'm already working with. And so just amazing how God like opens these these doors as we are faithful to just like be able to take that leap. Now from episode 58, Jeff Lane talks about the discipline of his morning routine, why it's important for him to get up early in the morning and spend time in prayer with the Lord, time reading the word, and then to exercise every single day. I usually get up Usually to no alarm, but I have an alarm set usually at 4.10, 4.15, but usually 4.10 in the morning. Okay. But like this morning, I was up at like 3.50. I mean, I was, I was awake. I didn't actually get up until 4, 4.08 is when I actually rolled but out of bed. But you know you're getting out of bed before yeah. 4.10. Yeah. I'm usually, yeah. yeah. I don't usually, the alarm doesn't usually ever wake me up. Okay. Um, and then I get up at 4.10 and my wife jokes me, but it's very, very structured. But I get 4.10, I, I go grab the Bible out of the, the bathroom. Yeah. I go to the stairs. I have laid out the night before. I have either a sweatshirt if it's the winter or a short sleeve sweatshirt yeah, yeah. with a hood. Yeah. Um, I put that on. I go upstairs and I take an hour just to read, to read the Bible for an hour, Good for scriptures you, for an hour. Yeah. Till usually about four twelve to four fifteen. Till about five fifteen, five twenty at the latest. And then I'll usually work from five twenty to five forty five, answering any email, any emails I didn't answer from like 
seven or seven thirty that evening yeah. till the morning. So then um those are done. And then I head out to the I put my hood up, then I head out to the uh downstairs. Yeah. It usually it's about five fifty, right in that time frame. Yeah. And then I'll take a drink of creatine water in a probiotic. Yep. Uh put my hood on and then I go out to the garage about five five fifty five, right in that ballpark, five fifty three. And so I have a gym out there that I actually had set up at half of the gym, half of the garage. Yeah. When my son was starting to train, when he was about six or six or seventh grade is when he started training. Uh-huh. Um, and it's worked out great for me because I don't have to go to a gym. Yeah. But it's also, you have to be very disciplined to be able to work out in your house, right. in your garage, because it's so easy to turn around and not do it. Right. Go back to bed or- Right. right. That's exactly right, buddy. So that's part of the discipline is- is having the mindset of getting out there. And so, you know, we've had a Peloton, we have a, a treadmill out there, and then uh, we have a weight bench. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think the, another like a pull down bar and everything. You guys have seen it, yeah. uh, and, um, but a, a weight contraption. And so then I'll work out from 550, 553 till about six. Um, it's usually right around 635, 637 in that ballpark. I know yeah. it's very pinpoint with time, yeah. but it, uh, there's a reason for all that. Yeah. And then uh, I'll work out, you know, weights and everything for that time frame. And I'll usually get on the treadmill about 740 to 742 this morning. Six, 742? Six, 642, 642. 642, I'm okay. sorry. 642, 640. Till, and I run for 40 minutes. I, like we spoke that day, I run for 40 minutes. It, it's not 38, not 39, not it's 41. It's 40 minutes. 40. And on, during the week. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'll run on the treadmill. Okay. Monday morning, I'll usually do the Peloton for 40 minutes. Okay. Thursday, because I have a 7 a.m. meeting every Thursday, I'll I won't I'll just walk something later on, but I won't do any sort of running or anything like that to give my body a rest. Um, but I still work out yeah. that morning. I'll just do weights. Um so you work out seven days a week. Yes, I work out seven days a week. Now, that's not for everyone, but as I've gotten older, yeah. okay, and I've worked out for so long, my body can recover quickly, but I also want to shock the body from time to time, right. but I don't lift super heavy weights. So as I've been thinking about this the last few weeks of how we were going to talk and everything, yeah. uh, I don't do anything less than eight reps. And it's usually either eight to 15 to 20 reps of yep. whatever it may Lots be. Lots of movement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's not heavy weights, but I will once a week, I'll usually work each body part at least twice a week, sometimes three, depending on how it works out that week. Yeah. And, but one of those two workouts, I'll go heavier than the, the previous workout. Yeah. Then the next workout will be more just all about reps. Right. But again, it's, it's just to keep the body in shape and everything. And, and also again, it's, it's mental. It's, it's a lot to mental. I mean, anyone who's rode a treadmill, if you run four five, six, seven miles on a treadmill, it's, it's mentally grueling. Yeah. It really is mentally. And especially the first mile, it's tough. Because there's so many things in your mind that you just want to stop. Right. There's so many other things you could be doing. Jeff, what are you doing? Man? Yeah, that, that's exactly. That's honestly, buddy, that's what's going in your mind. And, and as I've gotten older, I've, I've just realized the mind is such a powerful, such a powerful processor that we don't even use a tenth of. And the more I read about it and everything, the more I'm enthralled with it and what God has given us, and we don't use yeah. a tenth of it. Yeah. And so it's and then during that 40 minutes, so Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. Yeah. I'll list, I'll watch, um, usually Bible things, yeah. Bible, whatever podcast, whatever it may be. Yeah. Again, that's for a reason. Okay. So t- again, I want to start the day off on a very positive note, relaxing note, but just getting me in the right 
what's going to go on during the day. Now from episode 60, Lori Harrelson, the girl with Moxie, talks about how she gets involved with serving our veterans across the nation and what that means to her. How, how are you involved in the in our veterans though? How, yeah. What is there like a... Uh, so have you heard of Honor Flights? I don't think I have. Okay, so Honor Flights have been, I don't know how long they've been around, but there's chapters all over the country. There's two or three chapters here in Oregon yeah. where volunteers step forward to say, you know, especially with our Vietnam veterans, they didn't get the welcome home they deserved when they came home. They did not. And so it's a, uh, the Honor Flights exist and they've existed for a long time, but it's a way to take the veterans back to Washington, D.C., to honor their service, to give them an opportunity to visit their war memorials, go through the museums, tell their stories um, with other veterans. Uh, and then along with every veteran, there's a guardian assigned to them so that they're not carrying their own backpacks and tracking down their own food and all of that. The guardian is basically a chaperone or mm-hmm. assistant to help them around the city as we as we go around the city. Yeah. And um, I... It had been a bucket list item of mine for a very long time to go as a guardian on an honor flight. I got to do it for the first time this last April, okay. and I'm going again next next weekend. So I'll be in Washington D.C. coming home from Washington D.C. on my birthday. What a gift! Yeah, and yeah. so you you're back there and you're carrying this luggage or whoever for a veteran, or is it for the veteran or the yeah. veteran and family for the veteran for the veteran? What what's that feel like to do stuff like that? Can you put that in words? It's hard to put into words, and I get emotional talking about it. Yeah. Um, seeing them process emotions that either they've bottled up or haven't been able to share with others because others don't understand yeah. the efforts that they went through and the sacrifices that they gave. For them to find f- other names on their war memorial mm. that people they fought with and yeah. to pay their respects to their friends or family members, it's overwhelming. It's truly overwhelming. It is quite an honor to get to witness it firsthand. How many times have you gone back to Washington, D.C. and seen the memorials and stuff? I've been a number of times personally, but this will be my second honor flight. Wow. Yeah. My wife and I went to Washington, D.C. for the first time last uh, August, September. So it's been a year now. And spent just four days, three nights in Washington, D.C., touring the city, the memorials. Um, Yeah. Unbelievable. I just was in awe. Of, yeah. of what's there. So One of the most touching moments for me was when a, an eighth grade class of students came running up to our tour bus as we were getting off at the Marine Corps Memorial and stood on both sides of the sidewalk and stood and just clapped and applauded all the veterans getting off the bus. Mm. And I was so emotional just watching the respect and the honor paid by these students yeah. that I don't see a lot these days anymore uh, to see it and to see the full-hearted appreciation coming from these eighth grade students. We got the veterans on their way to go see their memorial, and I had to sit down and just take a moment to myself. And then I found as many of the adults on that trip and told them, thank you for teaching these Mm. kids respect and honor and history. What caused you to to really fall in love with these veterans or the police and really have that respect? I mean, I, I absolutely respect and love our veterans, our police, what caused you to do that? Do you, your dad wasn't military, was he? No, my dad was not military. Um, we had family members who were military. Okay. Both of my grandfathers were also volunteers with their local police departments as yeah. senior citizens, so senior mm. patrol, right? They would write tickets for people um, parking in handicapped spots. I love it, yeah. <laughs> yeah my, one grandfather here in Salem and another one down in San Diego. I, I think it just goes back to how I was raised. 
my family taught me to respect and honor those who've sacrificed greatly for our country and for our community. Now from episode 65, Aaron Qualls talks about his 75 hard journey and intense exercise regimen and how he managed to persevere the last few grueling days. August 24th, 2020 is when I first started. Mm. And I just made the I just made the commitment that so I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for me. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do it for my family um, to become a better version of myself because learning through that process and having you know the, the 75 hard yeah. it's not a workout program it's not a weight loss program it's a mental toughness program mm. can you be tough enough mentally to get through that process and complete it because i guarantee you'll get to day 70 you get to day 65 me laying in my bed staring at my ceiling Day 70, five more days, and I, I completed this thing. Looking and staring at my ceiling, I said, I do not want to get up and work out. I quit right now. But something inside me dragged me, pulled me out of bed, and I, I got it done. And I completed it because I was mentally and physically exhausted. Can you fight through that? It's kind of oh. like life, right? Yeah. Stuff happens. When, when someone kicks you in the nuts, you're going to move forward. You're going yeah. to stay on the ground. Or you're going to get up and keep pushing. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you're, you're day 70. To me, it seems like there would be enough momentum to propel you. And I bet you there's a, a key factor of momentum. Mm-hmm. It's like, now I'm at the tail end. I know I'm tired. I don't really want to. I'm going to go do it. Mm-hmm. So is there, fast forward now, you not only did it 75 days, at that moment, did you continue to the, the rest of the year or is that another phase? Is that a different time? You can take time in between. And so- it's really weird. Day seventy six. Once I completed it, you know, I I bought a couple seventy five hard shirts. Like this is my this is my prize. I'm you know they're they're sitting on my yeah. in my room. I'm looking at them every day. Once I you know once I completed, I get to wear them. And so I, t- I took a pic at the last day, um, and I think I shot a video on my very last workout. Just 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 super excited that I, <laughs> I got through seventy five days. But I didn't jump right back in. But seven, day seventy six, it felt so weird because. Doing two workouts a day for 75 days, and then all of a sudden I don't have to. I was like, I was antsy. I, I felt like I should be doing something. So I, you know what I did? You worked out. Two workouts, baby. It just became- <laughs> Just because. Well, you created- It became lifestyle. Lifestyle. It was yeah. no longer, it was habit, mm-hmm. but it became a lifestyle, which is probably the next phase after habit. Okay, I got yeah. a new habit, but now it's, yeah. it's not just a diet, it's yeah. a- Lifestyle. It's not a workout. Yeah. It's not a weight loss program. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And that's what it is. You know, creating that lifestyle, not not saying, hey, this is a program. Because a lot of people will tab it, you know, weight loss program, fitness program. But no, if you don't have the mental toughness to push through, yes, you'll lose weight. Because I went from like 233, 235 down to like 190. You did? Yeah. Drop some weight. Oh. I, and every day you take a progress picture. Oh, yeah. So, so two thirty three, I look at myself in the mirror. I say, "Ah, hey, you look pretty good. You're a good looking guy, <laughs> right?" You start doing seventy five hard and take a progress picture every day. By day seventy, by day thirty, you start seeing a little difference, mm-hmm. right? But when you look at yourself every day in the mirror and nothing's changing, right? You think you you think you're doing you're good, but after seventy five days, I put those pictures next to me. I was like, "I look like I got stung by a bee." I, I was like, that's my motivation. I don't ever want to go back to that. Okay. And then I got a weight vest and I threw 30 pounds on the weight vest. I was like, this is what, the this ex- what, this is what like. I've been carrying around. 
Yeah, it's that crazy. Yeah. Dude, that is awesome. So how has 75 Hard changed you now? Because that was back in 2020. Mm-hmm. You've done the 75 Hard. You've done the full year. Yep. Are you currently now back in 75 Hard? I'm on day 40, baby. Day, day 40. 40. How many? Okay, so how many times have you done 75 Hard? So just just the one time. And I've done little little clips where like in between like phase two and three where there's there was quite a few months. I was like, I'm bored. I'm going to do 75. So I did like a 43-day stint and then then stopped and so i I have failed a few times um i've I've done a 30-day stint and it just just little little clips of of getting back to that that habit so i've I've not completed it a second time so it's a little different this time yeah like you're committed to the 75 days yeah And, and trying to do 75 hard after the first time i completed it the first time i had a a re- I don't say a real reason, but I needed to lose weight. I needed a change in my life. I felt stagnant. I felt, I felt unmotivated. Yeah, that's why I really kind of started doing it. I was like, okay, COVID's going on. The world's shut down. Everyone's kind of in in a holding pattern. Yeah. you know, you know, you know, not really doing anything. I said, if I can find something that can push me forward and propel me, and so I'm on a full on sprint when everyone else decides to start moving and I'm a hundred yards down the road, mm. I'm going to be that much further ahead personally in business family. And so I got tired of just being okay. Yeah. Now from episode 30, Daryl Goldshell talks about the secrets of navigating through the challenges of marriage, God, prayer, and humility. Yeah. So the secret is God. Um, oh, really? That that's yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> that that's it. I mean, we're both two sinners put together, right? And you got two faulty people with very selfish and pride that gets in the way. Um, but honestly, lots of prayer. Um, both my parents are still together. They've been married for fifty plus years. Mm. Both her parents are still together. Also been married for fifty plus years. Um, I know from both sets of parents, they both prayed for us since when we were little. Um, I'm a huge believer in prayer. Uh, My grandparents prayed over us all the time um, when they were alive. And till this day, I know both my parents and my in-laws still do the same. So I'd say prayer is a huge thing um, from people that are praying for you, but as well as praying for each other. Yeah. Um, Apart from that, I, I... I don't know. I don't know where I'd be, honestly. I hmm. mean, I look at just the steps I've had to take um, to, you know, going from through high school and college and then getting married and then having these kids, you know, earlier than what we wanted and blah, blah, blah. But it's uh, pretty amazing just to see God at work. I mean, we're very blessed. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, it's interesting. You obviously it is God. We know that, mm-hmm. you know, but prayer mm-hmm. and for me personally, I wasn't living for the Lord in mm-hmm. my early twenties. I just wasn't. I wasn't. I was like twenty eight before I came to yeah. the Lord. But looking back, my grandma, my dad's mom, mm-hmm. uh, she had fourteen kids, Whoa. big family, yeah. and she raised those kids on her own because her husband, my grandpa, died when my dad was probably I don't know early teens. Wow. But later in life, as I became a believer, mm-hmm. what I learned about my grandma I said, "Grandma, hey, how often do you read your Bible, and you know what's it look like?" She was why well, I read in the morning. Mm-hmm. I read at noon, I read at night. Wow. And she would pray. And she was a lady with few words, mm-hmm. 
but I know she was always praying and her prayers is what saved me. Yeah. And so when you say prayer, I think we often don't give prayer the due respect that it, what we, we get to talk to the creator mm-hmm. yeah. and what a cool thing. Yeah. And I think people that talk to the creator on our behalf, um, like I said, I, I can name a bunch of people that you wouldn't know that had been praying for me. I call them my prayer warriors. Mm. You know, I have an uncle, my, my, my dad, my father-in-law, um, I, I, my youth pastor at the time, you know, back in high school, my best friend still till this day that I talk to multiple times a week. Um, just, just a lot of people that pray um, for me from a personal level, but also praying for our marriage and praying for our kids. Um, that's the other thing is raising kids. You know, people are like, oh, how did you do this? I'm like, I, I, I don't have the secret formula. All I know is God's protection over us and mm. people praying yeah. is the big thing. So, And what's interesting about your family, I mean, the the, the, the whole Green family, the mm-hmm. Goldchill family, mm-hmm. there's nine cousins that you have yeah. your kids. Oh, yeah. uh, I think it's beautiful in that you guys are all married still. Your, your parents are still married. Mm-hmm. They're still married. You're still married. And I'm not talking for a couple of years. I'm talking yeah. decades, mm-hmm. 25 to 50 plus years. Yeah. yeah. So it's highly unusual. Yeah, it is. So there's no coincidence that mm-hmm. God is a part of that and prayer is a part of that. Absolutely. Now from episode 69, Allie Virtue talks about building a lifestyle around health and fitness and what it means to be accountable. What are some of the very first things that you do to get them going on the right path? Mm-hmm. So I'll kind of do a lifestyle audit. Um, one of the first questions and most useful things I ask is just take me through your day. What time do you wake up in the morning? How much sleep do you get? What's the first, what does your morning look like? What's the examples of your your food, et cetera? What times do you eat? What's your life like? Mm. And I can, I look at their food log and that's helpful too, but also I need the context of like, why you eat like this? Like, yeah. what's your day like? And I think that's a missing piece for a lot of people as well. Um, but that I'll look at uh, most recent blood work, which is really helpful. Yeah. And nothing super fancy. I'm really just looking at your general um, CBC, CMP, just kind of what your doctor would run annually, mm-hmm. looking at your cholesterol, things like that. Because you can kind of look at patterns and find uh, potential nutrient deficiencies. Obviously, I'm looking at anything that you supplement with, the mm-hmm. forms of it, if it's helping. Is it something that we might not be needing? Are you getting enough of that in your food? Or are there other things that you're eating from looking at your food log that you might want to supplement with just because you don't traditionally eat that all the time. Fish is a great example. Fish oil can be great, but if you have fish all the time and you love seafood, maybe you don't need it. Um, Things like that. So that's kind of where I start. I kind of create from getting all of that information from someone, I'll kind of create like a longer term plan in my head of like, all right, this is where I would like us to be in six months. Mm. And then I kind of distill that into like, here are your three steps. Food wise, I want you to focus on maybe more protein at breakfast, or I want you to focus on mindful eating. So maybe don't worry about tracking calories or macros or stuff like that. If they're an advanced person who's done a lot of tinkering on their own, that can be really helpful. But most of the time it's getting people not to overeat and be more mindful of like, oh, I'm actually full now. Whereas normally they're going, they're eating until they feel physically really uncomfortable. So that's usually those mindful eating habits is kind of where I start. And so then people build the awareness because it's like a muscle that you have to build. You're like, oh, I'm actually full now. And then progressing from, please don't overstuff yourself. Please don't feel, you know, be over full. And then please eat until you're no longer hungry. Mm. And that's kind of like the advanced thing to strive for. Because usually people like, and and I always ask like, what does full mean to you? Yeah. And a lot of times people don't know. 
they just eat until it's gone off their plate. Or um, someone's told me I've, I'm full when my pants feel really tight and I want to unbutton them. And I'm like, that's past full. That's, that's like that's 150% like, full. Yeah. <laughs> so, but she didn't know. She never thought about it before. Yeah, yeah. So kind of retraining our brains to, mm -hmm. and then if someone can not overeat for the rest of their life, like they'll probably be all right. Yeah. Versus teaching them to count calories. That's a transient. That's kind of like training wheels. It's helpful for an extent for a little bit, gives them some information. But if I can teach them how to eat and eat in a mindful way, then I, I feel like results just go through the roof. They have a better mindset. They have a less uh, problem with, I guess, perfectionism. So they're not like on, on the wagon or off the wagon. They can have a cookie and realize it's not going to ruin their whole day. They're not, you know, ruining any results and they can just move on and make yeah. good decisions the rest of the day instead of being like, well, I might as well eat the pantry now because <laughs> yeah. I had one cookie. <laughs> right. So here's the questions I have, you know, mm -hmm. as a, as a, you know, I'm a 55 year old male and I hear a lot about fasting. So I've done the 18-6 fast, mm -hmm. uh, 24 hour fast. I hear multiple day fast, like three days, seven day. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never done the three or seven. I haven't gone that far. Yeah. How do you um, coach people through what's best for them? You know, because I've also heard people don't have a calorie problem. They have an insulin problem, mm -hmm. which is, you know, carbs and sugar. And then one of the problems with, at least from a guy standpoint, what I've heard is we're not simply getting enough protein. And so how do you, how do you guide your clients through fasting mm -hmm. or no, nope, we're going to focus on just eating more protein so you're not craving sugar all day long? What does that look like to you? It's an excellent question because those are really conflicting things and people get really frustrated. They're like, well, I'm supposed to fast, but I'm also supposed to get one gram of protein per pound of lean body weight. That's a lot to get in in two meals or three meals, et cetera. So basically kind of talking them down because everybody has a long list of goals, right? They're like, I want to be super fit and I want to lift all the weights and I want to be healthy. Well, some of those we have to prioritize. So if you're feeling sick right now, let's get healthy and then let's get a lot of muscle and then maybe let's you know work on another goal that you have. So prioritizing goals. So we call that periodization. So maybe for right now, we're going to focus on, you know, your gut health, your gut health is going to improve. And then we can look at gaining a bunch of muscle later. So maybe that does mean that we're going to fast, incorporate some fasting, if that gives you some relief. Men typically do a lot better with fasting than women do. The biggest mistake I see probably is not feeding our activity. So I'd much rather people eat earlier in the day, and then have an earlier dinner. Um, we're a little bit more insulin resistant in the nighttime. So I'd much rather use that we're more sensitive to glucose. Plus, if we're working out, which is another part, working out or just walking or just generally active, if we're doing that, then we can, we might as well feed ourselves to support that. So, you know, just an example. So if someone likes to go work out in the morning, then go work out in the morning, have a good breakfast, incorporate some carbohydrates to rebuild those muscles and protein, obviously, um, that they just worked out really hard. And then maybe we just have an earlier dinner and we have a longer fast overnight. Mm. So kind of shifting things. Now from episode 47, Mitch Anderson talks about and unpacks the meaning of contentment that is found in Philippians chapter four. You know, speaking of contentment on, you know, which verse it was, yeah. uh, Philippians 11 through 13. Um, Philippians 4? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is, it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want, 
Um, and I want to hold off on that last Ooh, portion. I know it's coming. <laughs> you know it's coming. Uh, of course you do. Uh, because I've only ever used that last verse for accomplishment, for achievement, for doing great things, right? So right. let's just shelve that. I, we still haven't, you know, pulled back the veil. And we're already, we're chomping at the bit to be able to know what the following verse is. But this, this, this piece here, I've learned this secret. Um, all my life, when I'd hear that, I'd be like, what was Paul talking about? Mm. What, what secret of contentment do you mm. know that I don't know? But I never looked any deeper, right? So finally, uh, I think it was a, a year ago or whatever, I decided to look deeper. The Greek word there is mueyu, and it means to initiate into the mysteries a lesson, right? That, that's that's the, the, the uncovering of that. And what do you have to have if you're going to be going to have a lesson? You have to have a teacher, Right. Yeah. Somebody that's not you. You have to have a, a credible, authoritative figure. Right. Um, and then to initiate into the mysteries means you have to have an initiator. It's like a key to a car. Like you if you don't have a key, you cannot turn on a car. And I'm not saying you can rip open the spark plugs like you don't get to be MacGyver and you, <laughs> all this stuff. Right. Or James Bond. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so this this fascinating piece that I said was that I that I discovered here through Paul's writing is, wow, I don't have any access on my own to be content. It is impossible for me to achieve contentment. It has to come from outside of myself. So I, I was so perplexed because as I'm wrestling with this concept, it's like, all right, God, so there is this thing that is impossible to get to, which means mm. I want it even more now. Mm. So what, what are we going to do, God? Right. <laughs> so, so Paul then elicits this beautifully saying the only access we have to content, to contentment is to have access to the author of contentment to the fulfillment of right um this crazy interesting thing that we get when we look at achieving contentment so if we desire contentment on our own we're never going to get to it it's that thing that's always out of reach i think of the buddhist monk in the you know high mountains of asia always pursuing this nirvana which is you know obviously freedom from desire right yeah, god doesn't want that he he wants us to have desire still he created it and this is what i argue with in the book is that uh contentment is the guard of desire right it, it's it's a uh um a limiting agent you know that would keep it at bay because mm -hmm. if desire left unchecked is just dangerous you will never be fulfilled because if you have a million we want more we want more right you nailed it right it's there's there's we no fulfillment there but then there's this weird thing because if i have contentment i do not need the million dollars to feel like i just had a million dollars and i will never want more of the, of the million dollars for fulfillment if I accept this place of contentment that can only be granted by God, right? And so this this crazy thing. So now we're going to get to Philippians 4.13. Yeah. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we only, most people just live on that. Yeah, I can, yeah. yeah exactly. But we miss the whole context. And I, I mean, I, I would say that after, before every test, you know, I'd say, I, don't worry. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was about achievement. Before a game, I'd be like, hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was achievement, right? And I think actually, if we take it in context and the way scripture was written, it doesn't have all these breaks. Like it, it's a flow. It's a follow through. It's simultaneously actually has to do with a basement. I can be great with less. I can achieve more with less. It's, mm. it's not about me adding to myself. It's actually about me subtracting from myself in, in context of this. I can do all things through Christ. It's actually like, wow, you know what, God, everything in me wants a mansion, but somehow I can feel more fulfilled by not getting the mansion and being content in my thousand square foot 
home. I won't call it shack because you know we're in America. So yeah. so this this thousand square foot apartment, yeah. and it's yeah. like, dude, wait, how how in the world? Because it's so miraculous. How can I have access to more joy mm. than the millionaire down the street in his mansion? So that's that's kind of this idea that I wrestle with. I'd like to share what conversation with Buddy means to me and why I started it. Well, for the past 25 years, I've enjoyed meeting with different men, typically early morning at a coffee shop somewhere in Salem, to mentor them and or be mentored. Iron sharpens iron, as they say. I found a way to help someone is to first meet them early in the morning before their day really gets going and have other things on their mind, to listen to their story and understand where they're coming from. It was my wife who encouraged me to begin the podcast in 2022, and I was not initially excited to do it. But I prayed about it and felt God giving me the go-ahead. I agreed to do it every week for one year, and we will see where we are. Well, we are in year two and continuing forward until God says no more. Helping share people's stories and testimonies with the world through this podcast helps satisfy my curiosity and bolsters my compassion and empathy for everyone. I'm thankful for God helping me to share these stories, and I'm thankful for you all taking the time to truly listen and appreciate them. Thank you, and hopefully we'll see you next week.